Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about TheraWorks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. Hey listeners, in this episode, you'll learn how a pharmacist is combining his passions for informatics and antimicrobial stewardship. Dr. Brian Fung shares about life as an informatics pharmacist on his YouTube channel, and he's going to be covering the following in today's episode. Day-to-day activities of pharmacy informatics, the current state of pharmacy informatics, and the future state of pharmacy informatics. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Brian Fung, is a PharmD and board-certified pharmacotherapy specialist who is a medication management informaticist at a large academic medical center and a clinical uh, assistant professor at the University of Florida College of Pharmacy. At his current position, he is responsible for the implementation of the antimicrobial stewardship and and control programs into the EPIC uh, EHR or electronic health record. Brian received his bachelor's in human nutrition and his PharmD from the University of Florida and is currently pursuing his master's in public health from the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. He completed a PGY-1 in pharmacy practice at Sarasota Memorial Hospital and a PGY-2 in pharmacy informatics at the University of Utah Healthcare. Uh, as I mentioned, Brian is uh, has his BCPS and has re- received additional training in antimicrobial stewardship through MADID. And Brian's practice and research interest primarily lies within the intersection of informatics, infectious disease, and public health. He is actively involved with ASHP and AMIA with recent contributions as co-chair of the leadership work group in pharmacy informatics for ASHP and is a member of several other advisory committees within uh, the American Society of Health System Pharmacists Association. Brian, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Yeah, thanks for the introduction and, and thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, thanks, Brian. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro and maybe share a little bit about your personal life. Sure. So a little bit about me. I think um, a lot of folks, well, maybe they, they would assume based on my current position as an informatics pharmacist, but uh, I come from more of a... Um, technical background. I started off as a computer engineer um, slash computer programmer. Never really practiced as one, but you know, as I was growing up, those were kind of the things I was interested in, dabbled in computer programming, took some courses and, and things like that. Maybe some other things that may be interesting that is not as professional in the intro- introduction 
is I used to like to game. I was very close into the uh, pro gaming scene, so I was probably a semi-pro gamer back in the day. And I, I think that's about it. Uh, well, those are very interesting facts. Uh, so, you know, I I think that probably those uh, interests in the technology um, space probably um, piqued your interest when you got into pharmacy school and, of course, uh, learned that that was a growing field. So uh, informatics is certainly uh, very popular. I don't even think it was really something much talked about when I went uh, through pharmacy school. So how did you decide to take that path as a PGY2 resident? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, so it, it definitely had a lot to do with, you know, growing up and having that kind of technical background. Um, and I think, you know, I didn't know much about it in pharmacy school. And, you know, as you mentioned, I don't think it's even to this day that common uh, Lee talked about in pharmacy school, but it was in, uh, let me see, my P4 rotations, you know, I was doing rotations and I think it was my third rotation. I met a resident and he said he, he thought about doing informatics and it, my mind just lit up and I was like, whoa, it sounds techie. <laughs> so, you know, I asked him, what is informatics? And, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about that? And he said, you know, the, the basic is that pharmacy informatics is like a liaison between the clinical side of pharmacy and the technical side. And, you know, I'm just very excited because that something like this even exists and so I looked more into it, um, and it helped a lot because in 2013, the year I was graduating, uh, the very first publication of the pharmacy forecast came out. And basically, for those who don't know, the, the pharmacy forecast is like this um, thing that's published uh, from the various leaders in uh, across pharmacy in, in the United States, and they, they kind of predict where pharmacy may be headed. And I read through it and they, they basically said, you know, we think the demand of clinical pharmacy is going to be high, but we think the supply of clinical pharmacists, specifically those with residency training, um, is going to meet that demand. But they don't think that there's going to be adequate supply of informatics trained pharmacy, but they do think that the demand is going to continually to increase. So that that's how I kind of figured out about it and really pushed me towards um, pursuing, you know, my PGY2 in informatics. Awesome. Yeah. And that's something that ASHP produces. And I know that they canvas uh, health system leaders from all over the country. And it's great that you got your hands on that and uh, paid attention to check some of the economics to make sure you were setting your career up for success. Um, so you, we've talked a lot about the tech side, uh, maybe share how you decided to go into pharmacy. Yeah. Um, so that's always an interesting question too. I, I'd never thought that I was going to go into pharmacy or healthcare at all. Uh, you know, I, to this day, I still love computer engineering and the design aspect, but what shifted me into pharmacy was, uh, towards the end of high school. Uh, my grandma was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and it was probably my very first time in a hospital setting. Um, you know, just the confusion with uh, what all this medical jargon meant, 
uh, seeing, you know, a, a loved one uh, suffer in front of you and not knowing what to do really bothered me. And there was no one in my immediate family that was in healthcare. So I didn't know how to respond to that. And it made me think that maybe I should be the one to go into healthcare so I can better, you know, help my family. So that's, that's what got me interested in healthcare. Um, and then in my first year in college, I actually switched into pharmacy and pharmacy because, um, I probably pass out if I see blood. <laughs> I'm not good with blood, so I can't do any of the other health disciplines. So pharmacy kind of uh, sounded like a great fit. Yeah. And so, Brian, what are some of the things that you do as an informatics pharmacist? Uh, I think people you know, hearing this sh- podcast would like to know a little bit more if they're thinking, oh, wow, I'm in pharmacy and I really like tech, but but what do you actually do once you're finished? And so since you're at a, a big academic center, you've probably got a lot of great opportunity for that. Yeah, that, that that's another great question. Um, uh, I actually get asked that quite a bit, you know, in terms of like, what do you even do? Um, so I, I guess starting off with at the very top, you know, the the way I like to think about it is we are uh, liaisons between you know the clinical team and then the technical team. So you know, when we're working with the clinical team, we communicate in a way that they understand technical information, um, and vice versa. And a lot of that role that we play manifests in the forms of different things. And one of those things is meetings. We have a lot of meetings. Um, and because of our role as a liaison, oftentimes we're the ones leading the meetings. You know, we will probably have someone from the clinical practice, uh, someone from the technical side, and we kind of lead, okay, this is what the clinical team needs. You know, can we do X, Y, and Z? And because we're in that leading role, we're also facilitating all of those meetings and then also demonstrating uh, things within the system uh, to help make those decisions. So a lot of things are meetings. And then, a, another large portion of the work that we do is interaction with the system. So I work primarily within the software space, so our EHRs. Uh, there's definitely a lot of Informex pharmacists that work it, with hardware, so like your automated dispensing cabinets like Pixis uh, and OmniCell, smart pumps, uh, carousels, all those in the, the hospital. Um, so those are hardware, but there's definitely a software component to it. But we do a lot of interactions with the system in which we build within it. So, for example, in the EHR, uh, they need new medications. We would build medication records in the system. But you also have to test it to make sure it works. You know, it can be ordered appropriately. It dispenses the correct product. It charges correctly, things like that. So a lot of our time is spent uh, interacting with the system in that sense. Um, And then... Something else we do is kind of navigating change control, a lot of politics, basically. You know, many of the the things that we touch and do impact multiple teams, multiple systems, and we need to make sure that everyone is aware of the changes, um, everyone is okay with the changes. And so we we navigate politics in in that sense. You know, you want you want to have good relations with various parties. Um, we want to make sure that we're on track to get things uh, migrated to different environments. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's a great thing in that sense because 
you're, a lot of the work that we do are project driven and we need to make sure we move the project from point A to point B. And a lot of that revolves um, politics in a sense, just knowing where things should go to get approved and communicated. And then with all of that said, uh, one of the things that I do a lot, which might sound a little surprising to, to some, is communicate. Uh, a lot of the time I spend in my, my desk is either on the phone, in meetings, um, whether in person or virtual, and, and communicate. I, I communicate quite a bit, which might be a surprise. And I say it's a surprise because it's, it's probably stereotypical to think that a lot of us in informatics pharmacy is just sitting in a cubicle uh, and not interacting with a lot of folks. Um, yeah, so those are just some of the day-to-day activities that I do. Yeah, that helps to paint a little bit more of a picture. And uh, I love that term as a liaison because you can speak either language, the clinical side from all your training in pharmacy school, and then also the the technical side because they've got to go hand in hand. And I I did want to clarify when you're talking about politics, you're meaning more of the inner office politics and uh, chain of command and uh, the structure of uh, who's approving what and, uh, and just kind of helping to build those bridges between different departments and things. But certainly uh, politics externally is an important uh, piece as well because we've got all of these different um, regulations that are um, may impact uh, the, the state of informatics. Um, I'm sure you could speak to probably some of those and then maybe some of uh, the future of informatics. I know people may have heard of AI or machine learning, so maybe you could could tell a little bit more about that from your perspective. Yeah. Um, so in, in regards to like the future of informatics, I, I think it's it's amazing. I, I think the opportunities are endless and and to be completely honest and, and frank, I probably don't have a lot of concrete things to say about the future, but I do have a lot of buzzwords I can offer, such as artificial intelligence <laughs> and machine learning. But I, I thought, you know, that that probably is a very great topic just to begin discussions on because um, I just got back from ASHE mid-year in Anaheim this past year, um, or I guess last year, but a lot of my colleagues we're talking about this. And and to my surprise, there were quite a few folks that were dabbling in, in artificial intelligence and machine learning. I didn't see a lot of practice, like actually using it to, you know, provide care. I saw a lot of it used in the research sense. And I, I think this is where a lot of my colleagues think we're headed in informatics and how we can utilize informatics to to really capitalize on this. So to, to give a better example, though, of what, what this might look like uh, as it applies to us is a classic example is um, identifying whether a tumor is benign or uh, malignant. And the way you do that, specifically using machine learning, which is a subset of artificial intelligence, um, is basically teaching um, a computer. And how you do that is you 
usually have a training set of data. So think of like an Excel spreadsheet and that Excel spreadsheet has a lot of different variables in it. Maybe the age of a patient, um, their ethnicity, their, their gender, um, those kind of things. And basically those are your predictors or your variables and you have some type of outcome. And in our, this example would be benign or malignant. So you feed them this training set of data and say, based on these variables, it's benign. Based on these variables, it's malignant. And so the next time you have a tumor, you can feed it to this computer and they'll help predict. You know, there's nothing that will tell you if it's malignant or benign because it's not in the data set, but it'll predict what it will likely be. So that's what we're talking about to give a better concrete example. Um, And a lot of that has to do with stats. It's basically math and statistics. Uh, and, and I think it's it's such an amazing opportunity that many of us, uh, I don't think, really are aware of or how we can use it or how we can learn it. Um, and it's definitely the way I think myself and my colleagues think we're, we're moving towards. And because of that, um, I think that reporting and analytics will also be an important skill set to have. You know, many of us have or have worked with electronic health records, and they generate massive amounts of data, um, so much that we need individuals that know how to analyze it. You know, what does all this data mean? Interpret it and actually present them and make business decisions on them. So in regards to like another area of the future of informatics, we need individuals that know how to do that. And because of those two things combined, I think um, two skill sets that may be important for those who are interested in informatics to look into. One is uh, communication, which for current informatics, you, you definitely need that as well. But com- being able to take all this data and articulate articulate it in a way that makes sense for individuals will be really important. And two, something that I commonly don't tell people, but I think as we move towards the future, maybe more important is the technical skills. Um, many of us in informatics don't feel technical skills are as important. You know, it's mainly working with SMEs, not SMEs, uh, the clinical practice folks and your technical folks. So you don't really need to know that technical data, uh, the technical speak, I guess, or jargon, but mainly um, how to liaise between the two. But technical skills in terms of like statistics, math, linear algebra, um, may become more important as we move more into this reporting analytical world um, and machine learning world. So I, I think that's something to consider. And then outside of that, I think that the landscape of pharmacy as a whole may be changing quite a bit. Um, you know, there's a lot of talks about automation and robotics, you know, especially with those other things that we just talked about may give us more opportunities to automate a lot of the, the tasks that we're doing. And and I think a lot of people talk about the community space, you know, where you have robots doing a lot of this, this checking uh, and, and packing of pills. So I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. And um, yeah, just, just some of the thoughts on, on the future of pharmacy informatics. Awesome. Uh, there's, there's certainly a lot of opportunity, uh, there. So thanks for sharing a little bit about that. Uh, so Brian, uh, 
back in the beginning, we talked a little bit about your work with informatics and combining that with infectious disease. You're leading a big project. I'm sure a lot of pharmacists uh, have antimicrobial stewardship on top of mind. Um, Maybe share a little bit about um, some of the importance of that work uh, that you're doing, and then maybe even some perspective uh, from a public health uh, standpoint, since you're uh, studying that uh, right now too. Uh, yeah, so um, I will uh, let me let me start off with a disclaimer and say I'm still new newish to the program, so um, I, I'm certainly not a public health professional as of yet. But uh, just preface it with that. Um, yeah, but in regards to the importance of that work, uh, obviously I'm, I'm pursuing my master's in public health because, you know, I, I enjoy that field. I, I think, uh, what actually got me into it was because of my experience in antimicrobial stewardship. I think there is a lot we can contribute towards it. And the area that I'm mainly interested in and why I think it's really important for public health, especially in the work that I do, is um, I guess one of the, let me backtrack a little bit to the past and how I chose informatics. So originally I was very interested in specializing in infectious disease. Uh, In fact, when I was a PGY1, uh, I was debating whether to do a PGY2 in infectious disease or do a PGY2 in informatics. And what actually shifted me, aside from you know the economics of things, is I had two chats uh, with infectious disease uh, pharmacists. One was Dr. Ryback, Michael Ryback, who was the author of the 2009 IDSA guidelines, and his fellow, who was, I can't pronounce her last name, I'm going to butcher it. It's like Melissa Newshauer. And when I talked to her, she did a stint at the CDC, I think it was in 2012. And her project at the CDC was to basically benchmark antimicrobial use across all hospitals in the US. You know, how are all the hospitals doing? How can we um, benchmark that? and get all that information to the CDC so we can analyze the data and provide that information back to the hospitals. And she basically said it's it's a huge challenge. And why is it a challenge? The challenge was because hospital systems didn't talk with each other. You know, the the information in Detroit didn't talk with the the systems in Florida. So how can you make all the hospitals send data to a federal agency like the CDC? analyze it and benchmark it. So that really piqued my interest. And she basically said, if you want to do infectious disease, you should probably do informatics. Um, and that that was a huge uh, pivotal point for me and, and made me go into there. And I, I think it's, it's important because um, infectious disease has many use cases and examples, just like the one I, I um, just talked about, that allow us to better code things. And when I say code things is basically if you have a medication in Detroit, you know, let's say lisinopril, code it with some type of standard. So when you send that prescription off to the pharmacy in let's say Australia, they will know that it's also lisinopril there. So I think um, using infectious disease as an example um, 
there are a lot of opportunities to better standardize concepts across not only in the United States, but on an international level. So I think um, it, it's important for those, those kind of purposes. Yeah, certainly. Um, and so, Brian, one other thing that uh, might, uh, from your background, that might come into play is, you know, there's with public health, and I guess as we're we're moving more even into population health, um, the social determinants of health are playing such a big component into that. So, healthcare is only about twenty percent of. Uh, you know, what actually basically your, your food and transportation and all of those other behaviors, um, not associated with, you know, receiving and getting healthcare, uh, or, or playing the bigger factors into health, but, um, taking it back to gaming, um, is there anything that you see with, um, the gamification of, um, you know, we're all looking at how do we, um, provide the right incentives, um, all along the, uh, healthcare system. Do you see any opportunity with using gamification, um, to help patients, uh, you know, pick the right foods or things like that? That's very interesting. I mean, when you say gaming, you're actually talking about like video games, that kind of games. Um, well, I guess maybe it's more in terms of game theory. So, um, that might, uh, yeah, I think I have seen some, even some video games, for instance, uh, one called, uh, on playspent.org is set up as a, an online experience where someone can feel like they're an underserved patient and, uh, are having to make decisions on, you know, do they use their food stamps for this or they have $10? Do they get on the bus to get to the uh, doctor's visit or, okay, well, how much do they have left for their, their pharmacy? Um, so I think there are more of those types of experiences that are coming about. And I was just going to uh, get your thoughts if you had any from, from that background. Hmm. Um. I probably can't speak very intelligently to game theory. I'm aware of it. I'm just probably not that articulate about it. But I will say that I, I'm I'm very impressed by uh, what you said in the beginning of your statements about um, you know population health only contributing to 20 percent you know of a population's health. You know that's that's was eye opening to me when I first started my public health program. So that's that's great. And then the the second thing was the social determinants of health. That's not that's not a term that many folks know about, uh, which which is fantastic. And I think that's that those kind of things have really shifted my perspective on how I look at healthcare, where there are so many different opportunities. And so I, I I'll I'll say two things about that. One, in terms of, we'll just say video games, um, one of my colleagues, David Vu, I can't remember exactly where the application was, is he was looking to use virtual reality to help certain mm. patients. And I, I again, I can't really speak to the yes. you know, how to articulate that. But there's another thing too, uh, University of Utah, uh, where I did my residency, uh, they were using video games for little kids who had cancer. Uh, specifically the ones that were undergoing wasting video games that would help them move around more to gain muscle. So mm. I, I guess that's from the app video game perspective. And then 
in terms of, you know, maybe driving patients uh, to better um, healthcare that it's not directly related to health, you know, so the other social determinants of health. I think one of the things I'm interested in personally, and maybe this is getting away a little away from your question, is social media. I think that there's a huge opportunity to use social media to better drive patient behavior out there. You know, so a lot of cases, you know, the young kids nowadays might not be watching TV, but they might be watching YouTube. And, you know, some of those those kids, um, we can t- use social media like YouTube or Twitter or Facebook to drive them to do things like, let's stop smoking. Um, let's, let's um, gain more political or social will to create parks so people walk more. Um, things like that. So I, I think... I don't know if that really answers your question. I think there's a huge, huge opportunity to capitalize on social media, though, to focus on those other social determinants of health. Absolutely. That's such a great point. And, uh, you know, I think that pharmacists should really start looking towards social media because um, there are other experts out or or not even experts, but people in different fields uh, like nutrition or yoga or, you know, other fitness um, types that are um, already using those channels to educate people on health. And, you know, I think in one in 20 Google searches is related to a health question. So um, people are looking for answers and it's a great opportunity for pharmacists to step into that space. So thanks for bringing that point up. So Brian, as our final question, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists who are just getting started in their career? Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's a, it's always a tough question for some reason. <laughs> Do you um, want that tailored to pharmacy overall or informatics pharmacy? How, however you'd like to, you could do both or you could pick one. It's, it's totally up to you. Okay. A piece of advice that I would offer that's probably applicable to both would be to probably find out mentors. Um, I think mentorship mm-hmm. is huge in any industry out there. And I think some of the things that have um, shaped me today stem from the mentors that I had, um, unfortunately, not at an early age. You know, I, I found mentors that I identified with and looked up to at a later stage of my pharmacy career. And I really, really wish um, they stressed that a little bit more during pharmacy. And maybe they did. And and I just didn't capitalize on it. But mentorship, seek out mentors early, see what works. You know, a lot of those uh, individuals that are in the mentorship space, we want to help students, we want to mentor them, and we all want to give back. So I think that would be probably the best advice I would suggest. I think that's great advice. And I agree. I I think that was something that I struggled with as well, first graduating, because, yeah, you don't really realize the importance of uh, having those people who've maybe already been, you know, carved a path or have already got a little bit of wisdom that they can share. And maybe it was just because I wasn't self-aware enough to know that I needed a mentor. Um, But I think 
I think that, you know, a lot of guests uh, that are sharing, um, you know, now that they've been successful in their careers, uh, just like you, uh, I think that they often credit having great mentors who have helped to guide them along the way. So appreciate all of the great information and uh, excited to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. This, this went by pretty fast. Thanks so much again. Really appreciate it. I really had a good time. To hear more from Brian, check out his YouTube channel, Brian Fung RX. And now back to our sponsor, TheraWorks Relief, which is a great option for a topical muscle cream, which has a nice green apple scent. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com and follow us on Instagram at Talk to Your Pharmacist. If you're heading to APHA's annual meeting in March of 2019, be sure to reach out and let me know. I would love to meet up. Find me on LinkedIn or reach out via Instagram. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening. 